Hello and welcome to the Downstream from Religion podcast. Here we take a look at the book of Judges and show how the book highlights the problems and solutions for modern times, not only biblical times. Perhaps we shall study other books as well. Please email me, email me with a comment or send questions or your own ideas. Fill in the gaps. Rabbi at rabbibailey.com or rabbibailey at gmail.com. Most importantly, subscribe, tell your friends, etc. We are going to discuss the first of two major stories at the end of Judges. This is called the Idol of Micah. And then you have the concubine of Giva. We shall go through the story, ask key questions, and pose very important principles to answer the issues of the time and bring a very important advice for our time. Chapter 17, the book of Judges. There was a man from the Mount of Ephraim, Ephraim whose name was Mikayahu. This means Micah, God. So God is my rather who is like god i thought i was going to say me kai like who is my similarity but it's uh me who who is like god but in, in any event he will be called micah as we progress he said to his mother the 1100 pieces of silver that were taken from you you mama cursed whoever stole it and i heard the curse Behold, the money is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed is my son to God. He returned 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. But the mother said, I had made up in my mind to consecrate the money for God. This is the proper God. Or she was confused. From my hand to my son and make a carved image in the molten image. So these are different types of idols chiseled out or melted and so now i'll give it back to you he returned the money and the mother took the money and they made a carved image and a molten image and it remained in his house now at this time this was an epically bad situation in fact let's speak about time this story the idol of micah and the concubine of giva these stories actually occurred chronologically like at the beginning of the book. If you go through all the stories, these decades over here, actually, when that evil Kushan Rishasayim, double evil, was oppressing the Jewish people after the death of Joshua, before Othniel, son of Kenaz, came, before there was some salvation, this is when it happened. In other words, the Jewish people came out of the desert fairly religious and observant, kosher. And when Joshua died, they began to struggle. They did not have the grassroots bottom-up structure. And this boy made an idol, and it was an uh, idolatrous temple. And um, my sages compare it to the righteous temple in Shiloh. Do you call it Shiloh? Shiloh was where the traveling tabernacle was the predecessor for 369 years. 
in Israel before the physical permanent, permanent indefinite structure of the first Jewish temple was built by King Solomon. So you have this tabernacle, Mishkan Shiloh, tabernacle at Shiloh, Shiloh, and you have this evil house of idolatry from Micah. So it's rather a bizarre beginning here. So this boy almost giddily tells his mother he stole from her, and she had cursed him. So you'd expect her to say, I hereby chastise you, son. Give me the money, and you'll show receive a flogging. Do repentance to the Lord. His mother does not say that. Rather, she says, Oh, you're still blessed to Hashem. So in the sentences here, it's the Jew, you know, the main Jewish God, monotheistic God. But then she admits that they're going to make a molten item, carved item, idols. So either she believes in multiple gods or the draw of idolatry has drawn her in to do service in the wrong way. Either way, it is forbidden. The mother seems to be, she's not chastising him. She seems to be indulging him. And where is the father here? Where's the father in this house? Let us continue. It gets worse. So Micah, this is 17 verse 5. He made a house of idolatry. He made an aphod, an icon. So aphod is a, um, we saw this with Gideon. It is a religious apron that they would have different icons and he installed one of his sons to be the priest so listen to that it's like he didn't find any proper sage to be a priest he basically took an altar boy and made him in charge his own son is in charge sort of backwards if you think about it you should pick someone who is a pastor a priest to be an elder but he picked his son now in judaism we have three classes of people the kohen who's the high the the priests, they do the service in the temple. The Levites, the Levi, they are the assistant priests, so to speak. They bring the offerings and they, well, they um, bring in the animals. The Kohanim, the category one, the Kohanes, they're the ones that do the animal sacrifice and the actual sprinkling and eating of the service. The Levites open and close the gates and they sing. They're around the Kohanites. And the, by the way, the Kohanites are part of the tribe of. Levi. So they're all one big family, just separate divisions. And then you have the Israelites, all of the other 11 tribes of Israel. Obviously, the Joseph tribes are divided in two, so it's kind of like 13, but it's not. So all the other 11, 12-ish tribes are called Israel. And there's different laws for different people. So here, he should have picked a Kohen, even if he was doing a false temple. And then we have this special important refrain here in 17.6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. A man would do whatever deemed proper in his eyes. Well, seems to be something we should have seen in the whole book. There's no king. What significance is it that you do what's proper in your own eyes? Verse 7, there was a lad from Bethlehem of Judah, from the family of Judah. So, just go with the idea of the Jewish commentary saying it means he lived in, in the area of Judah. He wasn't actually from a Judah tribe, unless his mother was. But he was a Levite, at least his father was from the Levites, the category two, as I told you. 
and he was traveling from Bethlehem of Judah, which is, you know, if you're picturing our triangle that faces to the left, there's sort of a belt. The, the middle, um, if, you know, if you, if you consider the southern Sinai Peninsula and all that, the point of it was where those Philistines are pointing over to Egypt. And if you go along that latitude horizontally, you go over to the Dead Sea. All along there is Benjamin, Judah, and eventually the Danite tribes. However, as we shall see, the Danites right now are living with Judah. So this, this Levite man, he is leaving Bethlehem. Yes, that Bethlehem to my Christian brothers and sisters. He left there to find a better place to live. He came up to Mount Ephraim. So this verse in verse 1 talks about that Mount Ephraim. So Mount, I guess it's a mountain. It's, rather, it's a large hill. But in the middle of Israel, this tribe of Ephraim has this very large, long hill that takes up a great deal of Israel. If you remember, Deborah was there. It's a very common place to have these uh, settings. As usual, the Josephite, the Joseph tribes are involved here. And the David tribe, Judah. So Micah bumps into this Levite, category two. He gets a bit excited because... He thinks this Levite can be a Kohen, can be a Category 1 type of fellow. So he says to him, I'm a Levite, and I used to live in Bethlehem of Judah. I'm traveling to sojourn somewhere from Bethlehem of Judah. And Micah says to him, stay with me. Be a father and a priest for me. So why is he, what? Why, how can you hire a Levite to be a father? You're paying someone to be a father? And again, this is not Catholicism. So father does not mean pastor. He means father here and a priest. I will give you 10 pieces of silver, set of clothes, and for your livelihood. The Levite went in and settled there. He wanted to live with this lad. And the lad became like one of his own sons. So Micah is called a man, and then the lad, and the man. Why is that? Micah installed the Levite. This Levite is called a man, and the lad, and the ar, and a man. And Micah said, I know that Hashem has done good for me. This Levite has become my Kohen. This Levite has become my priest. So it's not a proper omen, obviously. This boy is extremely confused. And that is the whole point here. This young man is not educated. And he's going to uh, gradually... Well, he has. He has been sucked into the road to perdition of idolatry in that life. So it is absurd that a Category 2 Levite would be a Kohen. It's absurd. It's in a house of... That it's an idolatrous house. And they're playing make-believe here. And that's really the implication. A lad, a na'ar, is someone who is young and inexperienced. So these boys are playing house. These, these young men are playing house. This person does not have a father. Listen to this common theme here. The story starts out. He's fatherless. His mother is there. Now, of course, a mother can play the role of someone who is nurturing and doing discipline. Structure. But the, the susceptibility of a single mother and a son is that she has a desire to spoil him. And I grew up, I grew up um, in, in a home with a single mother. Saw my dad on every other weekend and on Mondays, etc. So I'm not trying to say that all mothers are like this. Or you can't live as a single mother. But you need to know your weakness. And if there's a father in the home, of course the father could do a poor job, as we'll see in the concubine of Yiva. But... There are susceptibilities. There are trends here. 
But overall, it's better for the father to be in the home and better for the father to work on himself. So here, when it says there was no king in those days, a man would do as proper in his eyes. There's no king, there's no father, and there are no judges and policemen. It says in Deuteronomy, what we actually call the uh, section of Judges, Shoftim, <laughs> this book is called Judges, and that actually is a, a, the Bible, the five books of Moses is divided into 53 um, subsections that we read throughout the year, sometimes double up, part of the Jewish cycle of reading the five books of Moses every year. So it's actually called Judges. <laughs> and it starts out, Judges and officers ye shall put in your gates. So there is a commandment to have a proper judicial system and police officers. So here, no father to say, knock it off. There's no king to say, knock it off. I saw this in the Jewish commentaries. That's why it keeps saying this refrain here in this section and in the concubinate giva. There was no king because there's no one to say, knock it off. A king does not only deal with the economy, with the structure, with the borders, the boundaries. He is the one to tell people, knock it off. The police are supposed to tell people, knock it off. The judges are supposed to say to people, you didn't knock it off, y'all in trouble. It's about accountability, healthy discipline, I'm going to say positive discipline, and drawing the line to say no. This boy's mother spoiled him. She avoided the conflict. She said, oh, my boy, my boy would never do that. He would never do something improper. You're blessed. But I guess we're all a little confused here because we're going to give in to idolatry. <laughs> and this poor fatherless boy, this lad, he elevates his own son to be a priest. He's confused about how healthy paternal father figures operate. Then he fires his son as soon as he finds someone better. He puts a Levite as a Kohenite, a level two priest as a level one priest. He creates the idol in his own image. Okay. And this Levite, he represents another type of idolatrous sinner. If you remember in the introduction, I postulated based on the book of Leviticus that there is the corruption of the group when it comes to idolatry. And there's also the corruption of the individual, the own, the own road to perdition. This is another category. Someone who says, ah, go through the motions. I don't really mean it. I, I, I'm here to get paid. I'm just, I'm just here to get paid. I don't really mean it. I don't mean the idol worship. He's still culpable on a law level and on a sociological, philosophical level of destroying the world. You can't fake it. You can't say, yes, I'll just go get paid to be a pastor over here or, um, you know, uh, changing Judaism to, to be a, I'm a rabbi, but you don't keep, keep the law. You tell your congregation not to keep the law. You cannot dilute religion. As soon as we dilute religion, people don't want it. They want something of substance. They want something that takes some work. Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs said that in a Passover speech, and he's right. Making things easier fair doesn't work it needs to be authentic um so 
let's 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 give a big punchline here, and then we'll explain the rest of the chapter. So, there's a very good article by a Christian woman. All my Christian fans out there, um, collaborations. We're all working on this together. I'm not famous. I'm just trying to share, and I want you to share too. Mary Eberstedt. It's called the Fury of the Fatherless. The Fury of the Fatherless. It's an overall good article. I don't agree with every point. It's on a website, with, I think, for faith-based people to share quality ideas. These people are, you know, highfalutin university-educated people, and they incorporate ideas and research into their work in brilliant fashions. Miss Eberstadt uses the uh, riots of the summer of 2020 as a springboard to speak about the problem of fatherlessness in our society. I must say I don't agree with her characterization of the riots as mostly peaceful protests, but I give her the room to change her mind over the past year. This was written actually December 2020, I believe, and now it's December 2021. And I give her room to change her mind, and maybe she had to write that so her article would be published. I don't know, but there were definitely riots, and they came out paid protesters and targeting specific areas that were um, opportunity zones, etc. But of course, it's it's not a racial thing at all. It's a strategic destruction thing. Blah blah blah. Don't worry about the news. Don't be stressed. Try to do your grassroots movement. In any event. She brilliantly brings almost one in four children today grows up without a father in the home. For African Americans, it is some 65% of children. And this is over the past few years. It has sometimes been worse. Um, and many, many times it is getting worse. The vast majority of incarcerated juveniles have grown up in fatherless homes. Teen and other mass murderers almost invariably have filial rupture in their biographies. Okay, so she brings the studies about truancy, mental health problems, promiscuity, rape, domestic violence. Okay, so that's it. That, so number one, through, through whatever means, directly it causes people to, mis to behave less. You know, and it's, a, it's several things. I don't, I don't even want to give an exhaustive list because it has such a big impact. You know, people feeling the home is stable, feeling um, self-esteem from the father. And also there's this whole knock it off thing I kept saying. You know, uh, the, the other day I told my sons to cut it out and do something else. And my, my older son said, you know, dad, the security guards at school say cut it out. <laughs> so I laughed because they are ex-police officers who are you know, very talented security guards at their school. And it, the same idea of the you know, the father saying, you know, knock it off, kids, do something else. And it has a big impact. It's like, okay, you reached your limit. Let's have a boundary. Some things are wrong. And frankly, in the same, in the same vein, in a different part of the ballpark, one of my female students um, contacted me and said she was wondering about what to tell her children about a certain issue that is uh, visible. You're going to have to tell your kids about it. Explain to them what's going on because it happened. people do this behavior. And I said to her, you know, 
you really can't get around it. You can say that we treat people nicely, but they're doing the wrong thing according to our beliefs. And she said, oh, you're so right. At a certain point, you have to just say no. You have to draw the line. So both men and women can teach about law and draw the line and make a boundary. But the tendency of women is to make a boundary of safety and protection. The tendency of men is to bring one that's about uh, rules and education and that sort of thing. So there's a high influence of men about um, law, about religious law and structure. Observance level is even usually according to the wife's uh, mood she sets in the home, but uh, the boundaries and the morality, the father heavily um, sets the tone. So for Micah here, you know, he's in, he's in Ephraim again. It's a society of Joseph people who are beginning, beginning to go off the rails at that point. They love the secular culture, but the ones who go too far are going to adopt too much of that idolatrous culture. So he didn't have a father that said, whoa, 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 honey, we are not going to let this boy have an idol. We are going to study the law. We're not going to get confused about how to serve the Hebrew God. It does not involve icons. We're not going to spoil this boy. He needs to have a little bit of tough love. And I don't mean spanking and hitting. You know, again, I'm very into positive discipline where the parents are firm and kind. But sometimes you have to look serious, raise your voice in the literal sense of the word, not the metaphorical sense of constantly yelling. But things have to get serious sometimes. Um, or even getting the child to reflect. Do you, do you think this fits into the family morality? Do you think this is moral? Self-reflection and independent thought are also powerful ways to learn. Okay, um, so finishing up the direct morality issue, the Minnesota Psychological Association, and I've seen it from other places, that a high percentage of gang members come from absent uh, father-absent homes, possibly resulting from a need for a sense of belonging. So people, people are looking for a sense, this is me talking, People are looking for a sense of belonging to a group and a sense of a father figure, and they get that right away with the direct, strong um, you know, father figure telling them what to do in the gang. And I'll even add in, I've had you know, mental health clients um, who are drawn to uh, men and women, drawn to uh, a strong employer. Sometimes that employer is just bossy. Sometimes they are doing illegal activity, illegal billing, illegal um, taxes, whatever. So we went from father influencing child to child um, looking for the father. And if you, and she, she really cultivates this very beautifully that if you go beyond this, the home is like a microcosm of religion and faith. You know, the way we um, sit and listen to elders the way we soak up our um, wisdom from fathers and grandfathers and elders. It directly relates to how much we have patriotism in the country, how much we have faith in our religion. Um, and that's where this whole thing about the patriarchy, you know, religion is made by patriarchy. That is a great way to unconvince people to like religion. Oh, there's a father taking advantage of me? I don't want that. Whereas the Gideon philosophy is, I'm going to bring my dad with me to work. He's going to school me, even if he's not quite as religious as me. There's something I can learn from them. And in Judaism, if someone is an elder, you give them almost as much honor as a sage. Because the Hebrew word for elder is zakain. It's an 
abbreviation for Zekhanachachma. This one has acquired wisdom. So old people know stuff. We should honor them and learn from them in some capacity. It might not be exact religion and faith and morality, but they know something. So um, she really cultivates beautifully and poetically far beyond my poetic speech that what is happening to America is an excruciatingly painful truth that life without father, with the lowercase f, capital F father, and filial piety toward country are not the socially neutral options that contemporary liberalism holds and true to be. So once you forsake all these sort of fathers and leaders, you actually have a, destroy, a, a society of destruction. And this is linked to all those people who are getting paid uh, by nasty leaders to go and destroy the country. People, people that can't stand leadership and elders. Um, and it just goes downhill from there. So what she's calling filial piety, um, you know, sitting and soaking up that. Whoops. There's a camp. There's a microphone flying around. So, you know, sitting and being humble and soaking up the knowledge of the um, male elders is a muscle that has to be strengthened. We need to practice listening to wise sages. They have a point. And you know what? Find one that's healthy. You don't need to accept everyone as an or as your advisor. You have to honor them, you know, stand up, help them, get some wisdom from them. But you need to respect them. And I'll say, you know, let's just get this on the table. The whole father, mother, nuclear family, traditional roles thing. Um, let's, you know, the 50s and 60s, you know, what's good is that there was the structure of the father giving direction and the mother being nurturing. But we, you know, I, of course, there was too much abuse going on and the children used to listen because the mother was listening. Like the children and the mother were, what's the word? Um, positive discipline talks about this at the beginning and in introduction. They were obedient, subservient because they had a fear-based model to the father. But nowadays, the, the father and mother have equal rights, but they have different needs. So, you know, we focus on what are the father and mother good at and what, what are their needs? So if you know, a woman needs to share something verbally more, that's what she needs. If a man is, is more adept at bringing in wisdom through the investigative faculty, whatever, that's what they do. So, you know, man having an opinion, man taking charge, C.R. Deborah episode, man having an opinion, man taking charge, woman responding to that. So the man's not a dictator, the man's not pathetic, but he has an opinion. She likes that, but she has influence in response. That way, when, you know, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay, the baby, the, the first level of the male-female relationship, it has been intact in history so that the father is a certain leader in the home. He's involved in the business. But you do throw out the um, bossiness and the um, absolutism, the authoritarianism. He's authoritative and that he has an opinion and we should take it seriously. But the woman has a right to come in and make influence on that and to be heard. And he hear each other out. So let me just get that on the table. The, the bathwater is the aggressive part. It's bad. So I just want to see, you know, the... the traditional roles has a benefit and we can take away the detriments. Whereas this whole patriarchy baloney is just part of this um, communist post-modern thinking going on the past 60 years to destroy America. 
Um, there doesn't have to be a patriarchy, you know, healthy male leadership, healthy female leadership and influence. Um, that is allowed and could have solved all these problems, but the baby has to be thrown out, thrown out with the bathwater for the evil, just as idolatry in, in the judges' times throws out the good fa Father God, our Father, God, God the Father, along with the laws. So if people are struggling with the laws, they should not give up on praying to the Father. So Micah is a fatherless man. They don't have judges and officers as these fa uh, roaming fathers, and they don't have the king as a metafather. And therefore, they don't have a manifestation of the Almighty Father that they understand, which is the king. And the Levites didn't get the instruction that you can't you can't do idolatry because you need a job. He, he, he likes the honor. <laughs> he likes the honor. He likes the paycheck. He feels good about himself. He gets to be the high priest. There's a Kohen, the Kohen Gadol, the great priest. There's one man who is the, the head honcho of the Kohanim, the level one priest. And he gets special privileges, including going in the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, on the holiest day of the Jewish year. Um, he's the only one that does that. So, <laughs> in any event, chapter eighteen. So we have this refrain again. In the in those days, there was no king in Israel, and because we're going back in time in the wayback machine, we have to do a little more visualization of our geography. So, so we left off again with Judah in the middle of that middle belt. A little bit of Simon below him. You got the Benjamin next to him, and ultimately the physical indefinite temple will be in Judah and Benjamin there. To the left in the west, you have the Danites. To the right, you have the Jordan River and the Transjordan tribes over there. The Bodidin Shodidim, the invading marauders, thieves. So if you take take that away and only have Judah there in the middle, we're going way back. So right before Othniel, son of Kenaz, came right before the first judge, the Danites were living with the Judah, Judahites, Judahites, <laughs> Judahites, that sounds funny. So they wanted a place to live. They look in the Bible and they see, it says, uh, Dan will suckle from the Bashan area. So Bashan is on the other side of the Jordan River, farther north, up to the top. If you remember, there are many of the um, smaller tribes, the non-full, the not less famous tribes, but equally holy, up north by where they didn't get rid of the evil little city-states, up by the Sea of Galilee. So Bashan is over there. If you remember, Og, the giant Og, is the king of Bashan. All right. So this Bashan area is strangely up northeast. So instead of being in sort of the southwest part of our picture by the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea by Egypt, the Danites are going to make a trip here from Judah in the south up to the northeast, up and to the right and back. And, they're, and some Danites are going to cross paths with Micah. Okay, that's what you need to know for now. So the Danite tribe is looking for a heritage. Chapter 18, there's no king. So there's no king 
to tell tribes to knock it off either. So Dan is going to do some good destruction and some bad destruction here, bad crimes. So they sent five men from their families, some of the leaders, powerful men of valor, powerful warriors. These warriors came from Zorah and Eshtaol. Those are sister cities in the Judah tribe in the south to spy out the land and investigate it up north. So they came to the middle of the country because they're going up. They came to the Mount Ephraim. That's where Micah lived. They spent the night there. When they were there, they recognized the voice of a Levite. I think he was singing. The Levites are singers. He had special... Maybe it's a special tone in his voice, but he's probably singing some psalms and hymns. Oh, well, King David didn't write psalms. But anyways, they had some kind of religious songs that they sung there, or perhaps songs that King David wrote down later as psalms. Psalms and songs. They said to him, Mr. Levite, who brought you here? What are you doing here? What do you have here? He said to them, Micah did such and such for me. So Micah set up this house of love and evil and hired me and I became a Kohen, even though I'm just a lady. They said to him, please inquire of God so that we may know if our journey upon which we go will be successful. The priest said to him, go in peace. The journey on which you go is in accord with Hashem. So that, that English translation is not what we're going with here. Okay, so background they used to inquire of the priest's chest plate that had a bunch of letters on it the names of the tribe of israel and a sentence from the bible they would inquire should we go to war will we be successful we see this in the next chapter and god would answer them through this breastplate as a certain form of prophecy so here they say okay i guess you're I guess you're a priest and stuff. I guess we, you have, it's like a, it's like another temple here. Okay. So I guess we believe in some idols. Do you think we'll be successful? So in Hebrew, this, co this fake Kohen who didn't actually inquire of God, I think he just was speaking from his own arrogance, but he was kind of avoiding the answer. Lech shalom, go to peace, meaning go in peace. Nochach Hashem. Across from God is your path that you go on it. I don't think he's promising that God is, that God's going to bless their path. I think he's just saying, you know, every, whatever you do, you're across from God. Go in peace. It, it, he's almost saying that they should actually pray and do repentance. But in any, any event, it's 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 like uh, you know, if you if you went to your um, if you go to your pastor or whatever imam or whoever, and you say. Do you think God, does God tell you in your heart that I should go, you know, to visit Israel or whatever? And he says to you, whatever you do, go in front of God. It's it's not an answer. So these five men, they arrived in the place called Laish. So they continued traveling farther up north, up and to the right. They saw people who were not Jewish. They were idolaters. And they were living in the manner of the Sidonites. Okay, the, the, the Sidonites, Sidonites. They lived on the Mediterranean Sea above Zebulun, farther north. So, you know, for if these, if this map we have is that they are northeast, they're 
to the right of the top of the triangle. If you go to the left, northern part of Israel, there's a big pocket of a mighty seafaring rich rich nation, the powerful Sidonites. That's where Jezebel comes from. I keep saying they're the sneaky, mighty people that's not talked about as much. So there's a little pocket of these Sidonites here. Remember, they're evil idolaters. They sacrifice their children, they murder, they steal, they commit adultery. So they appear to be conquerable. Okay? No one was there to stop the Jewish people from taking this land. They were supposed to take this land. God told them to. So the Danites went back south, past Micah, down south to Judah, to the twin cities where the Danites are living. They said to them, Arise, we shall advance. Let's go conquer them. Don't be lazy. Come on up north. So they went. this Danite tribe went up north, 600 men. They ascended in the camp in Kiriath, Jeriah, and Judah. They're still down south. Interesting. So they journeyed forth. I guess they just journeyed a little bit. Um, and then they passed Mount Ephraim near Micah's house. The five men who had gone to spy out the land of Laish spoke up and said, Did you know that these buildings have an aphode, apron, and a carved image and a molten image? It's crazy. So basically they're on the way to go to defeat the city of Laish in the Bashan to get their land. And on the way there, they think it's a good idea to come and pillage Micah's idol. So on the one hand, it's not really so sad that an idol gets taken. On the other hand, it's part of this lawlessness. There's no king to tell them, knock it off. As a tribe, the Danites we identified as relating to guarding. They themselves can be very adaptable, influenced by the surroundings, or very self-controlled and militaristic. So you have a very adaptive, aggressive tribe coming along. And they say, yeah, let's go take it. It's almost it's almost like a strong kid in the class coming to take your lunch money. It's almost like, you you know, let's say your friend stole lunch money and, and so it stole a silver dollar from the teacher. And the bully comes and takes that money away. So there's no one to say this whole scenario. Is ridiculous knock it off there's no father no police and no king and in this story they come along they grab the idol this levite who's acting as a coin says what what are you doing so they tell him put your hand in your mouth shut your mouth and come be a father and a priest for us they need a father too look at that it says the word father in hebrew it's unbelievable. This is why you need to learn Hebrew. It is better for you to be a priest in the house of one man or a priest of many. So they spoke to his arrogance. Do you, why don't you want to be a priest to a whole tribe? Huh? This pleased him. He took the ephod apron, the icons and the carved image, all the idolatrous stuff. He came along with them, turned away, and they thought that um, the Ephraimites, or at least Micah and his people, would attack. So they put the livestock and possessions in front of them. Usually livestock and possessions are behind them. They wanted to protect their rear flank. That's why it says that it's uh, unusual. 
Uh, anyway, so Micah comes out and says, what am I supposed to do? Gosh, can't muster anybody, can't help me. Taken away. So the Danites went on their way and they struck down Laish. They took the city. They killed the evil idolatrous Sidonites. And they stayed there. This is a huge atrocity. One of the biggest atrocities in the Bible. Treated very negatively by the Jewish sages. And this man was named Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Manasseh. He was really son of Gershom, son of Moshe. But they put a nun there. They put a letter to hide Moses' name. So Moses would not experience embarrassment from this evil act. They accepted themselves Micah's carved image. All the days of the house of God was in Shiloh. So that's the parallel there. You have the holy temple, the tabernacle. You have a traveling tabernacle stationed in Shiloh. 369 years and this evil image of a carved house this anti as we say in hebrew when there's something holy there's something in the secular world corresponding to that so the you know the, the lesson here is that it is good for us to have fathers a king and proper police and I can tell you I see police officers in psychotherapy and the whole media narrative about individual police officers are police good or bad or individual police good or bad the problem is uh, systemic the problem is corrupt people at the top of the police organizations because I've seen someone and he's cleaned up entire city blocks and they don't want that they want to keep the, the prison industrial complex going or just stop the major crimes. I don't mean to frighten anybody, but, you know, obviously defund the police is ridiculous. Even the people that say that. That's just part of the communist totalitarian overtaking of America. You know, police can be trained. There can be wholesomeness. And sometimes people take advantage. And uh, my background is also in family systems. So I know systems... And, you know, in terms of what this awful system has developed, a lot of the background problems are things that humans cause other humans, the poverty, fatherlessness coming from what, the way the welfare, welfare is structured, destroying the economy. So if humans would act better, all the ships rise when the tide comes in, the middle class rises up, lower class shrinks. But the top of the police organizations have to be healthy and moral it trickles downhill but that also relates to them being in bed with the mayor's office and the politicians so it's again the whole there has to be grassroots movement that all of these different levels are healthy it's not about the individual police officer if the top of the organization is good and people are professional they make relationships in the community there do not have to be quote-unquote bad police taking advantage it's a tiny tiny small number once again the media narrative is the wrong angle so it is good to have police protecting us being patriotic it's good to have the king and it's proper to have that father in the home so you know the next time a father gets frustrated or annoyed we need to remember give them a break but they still need to learn. They need to study parenting techniques. 
They need to work with the family. It's better to have the family intact and work on their stuff. Family therapy, family improvement, family studying. Better to have the family intact and to work on ourselves than to give up on it. If things need to end because of crossing the line or people not changing, I understand that. We don't live in a perfect world. These lessons are lessons of what's ideal. They are not lessons of assuming we can be perfect. There's no need to be self-critical. Speak to your critics. Reduce them. But it is much better to have elders and fathers and wise people around. We must keep going with our grats. We must keep going with a grassroots movement to bring humility and morality from the bottom up. These small icons that are mentioned are called trophim. These trophim are mentioned when Rachel leaves Laban in the book of Genesis. She takes his trophim. So these are small icons of children or even dead babies that we keep with them so creating god in our image creating god having to do with death and destruction and harm to children that's the perversion these lads creating god as a lad that's not healthy we need to celebrate the structure of a healthy king healthy police and judges and healthy fathers and healthy fathers in the home we must get the word out that fathers can learn to be healthy and to be leaders, to think they don't have to be selfish and angry and destructive. Police and judges can function properly. We must demand from society by voting for the right people, getting rid of voter fraud, putting pressure on the right people to have these structural patriarchs and strong women to keep us protected and lay down the law and to strive for healthy great leaders so we have the ultimate leader the king the messiah and god above Here.